Tonight in preaching, I'm going to direct you to one of the more well-known and most deeply loved verses in God's Word. It's Romans 8, verse 28. I want to read that verse and then read an illustration of the truth found in that verse from Genesis chapter 50. The verse well-known, we know that those who love God, for those who do love God, all things work together for good. And then from Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Lord God, what a powerful statement that is from the lips of Joseph, being able to deal with much wrongdoing and evil that had been done to him, seeing your hand, your hand, bringing good out of evil. Oh God, we need to believe that in our lives as well. That when adversity comes, you're not turning your back on us. You're drawing close to us. And you have a good purpose that you're working out through every happening, every circumstance in life. To that end, speak to us tonight, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Dear people of God, I'm eager to present the comfort of uh, Romans 8, verse 28 to you here tonight. To all who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, and I can only hope and pray that includes each and every person hearing my voice tonight. That God has called you. That you are one of his. But I want to begin tonight this message with a word of caution. Or maybe, shall I say, an admission. There are happenings that happen that I do not understand. And I cannot explain what good there might possibly be in that happening. We could give illustrations of that. Some people live so long. Their health is so smooth. Others, they live but a short time. Or they seemingly are continually dealing with some health issue. Why is that? Where is the good in that? Why does one person get elected to an office 
seemingly an unwise choice, and, and the better choice does not receive the necessary votes. We struggle with that. Why is that, that seemingly often the best person is not the one chosen? Why do some parents die before their children? That happens, but sometimes it's children who die before their parents do. Why? What good is there in that? And some people, they die before, before any retirement. At such a tender age, they have children, but they're never given the privilege of seeing their children graduate or, or marry or have children. They wrestle with that. Why, God? Why? And then there can be a person. They already have many children. They can ill afford to have another one. But the person gets pregnant yet again. And there's the couple, the godly couple who's prayed and prayed and, and covets their, their first child, and it just doesn't happen. Conception does not take place. It seemingly makes no sense. Where is the good in that? That's one observation. A word of caution and admission. We cannot explain, we cannot know oftentimes what is going on, where the good is to be found in the happenings that happen. There's another observation. I believe we must be very careful how we use this wonderful and very familiar verse, Romans 8, 28. For the person who's grieving or maybe questioning and a bit angry because of what has just happened, some adversity, some setback, this verse is not to be used as, may I say, a pill that you simply quote to them or give to them, something that you think will just remove the guilt and take all the anger away. Chances not. What is most often needed when pain is raw and when frustration is high is not just a scripture verse that you feed them, but some compassion that we show such a one. A sympathetic tear, a listening ear perhaps, a warm embrace. You know, when life is good, when work is steady, when income is high, family's doing good, no loved ones ill, no recent death, in such a setting or circumstance, it's so easy to say, God is so good, he's so good to those who love him. We love him so. But there are other times when health is not so good. And there is that sudden and unexpected death or that family crisis or maybe that job layoff or that season-ending injury for an athlete or a crop failure or this or that. In such times, we have to know what is it exactly that we profess when we say that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. 
There are some necessary boundaries in this verse, and we must note them tonight. I think they're in your outline there. And then there is a powerful blessing in this verse, and we must take hold of that. But the boundaries first, I think there are five of them that I note there. The first one has to do with the words, those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. To whom does this verse apply? Obviously, obviously not everyone. This verse is intended for, for Christians, for God's children and God's children only. They alone can lay claim to the comfort that the Almighty God is working in all things for good in the things that happen. Please recognize that. You know, there's a saying of that famous poet of old, Robert Browning was his name. He said, God is in heaven, all is well in, on this earth. God is in heaven, all is well with the world. And he wrote that statement in the 19th century when things were just going so well and the future looked so bright and so hopeful for everyone. But then came the 20th century. And early on, a world war. Shortly thereafter, another world war. And then other, lesser but yet major wars followed that. God was still in heaven, but seemingly it was not so well any longer in the world. So it is, I would suggest tonight. My sense is people are not so overly optimistic that all will be well in our world. War here, war there. Frustration with government. Concern about indebtedness. Distrust of certain nations. Terrorist peoples. There's more than a little anxiety, frankly, regarding our world's future, America's future. And Romans 8, 28 is not a promise that everything is going to be good and rosy because God is in heaven. There's good news. There's deep comfort in this verse, but it's reserved for those people who belong to God, his children. That boundary. Then another one. Note me with me the wording of the text, the subject, may I say. Some hear this text saying that things or life will just kind of naturally improve, that there's something built into to this world system, that, that, that sick people will just get better, and diseased people, uh, they will be cured, that wars will end, that problems will be solved. Just wait, just wait. That's the way things are. They just will improve with time, they say. Romans 28, verse 8, does not speak about some, may I say, mysterious power or force at work that brings about good. No, the one who works good is God, is God. He's the author. He's the source. He's the producer of goodness, goodness. Please recognize that. And let us understand then 
the meaning also of that word good. When that word's used, some think pretty quickly of something materialistic. God works for the good of those who love him. And so they think if you truly love God, then you have a rightful expectation that materially you're going to be extremely blessed. They'll be successful in whatever venture you undertake. But dear people, God's word, not here or in any other place that I know, makes the promise that God's people will have an abundant supply of riches, of material things, of success in this world. Let's not define good materially or even physically, physically. Some think that if you truly love God, surely you're going to be blessed with good health. You'll have kind of a stress-free life. Things will just all go well for you. But again, that's not the meaning. That's not the message of this text. Some of God's most precious saints are those who have wrestled with so much trial and hardship. They've known pain daily, health limitations or restrictions. Some of God's dear people have worked so very hard and faithfully, and yet they have such minimal, minimal savings. And some die so early. They never have a retirement, as I indicated. They don't see their children and grandchildren do this or that. Good does not mean necessarily a long life or a prosperous life or even an easy life. What is the good that God has in mind that he's going to make happen? I think we find it in verse 29. God will work in all things so that we will be or we will become conformed to the likeness of his Son. That we will become, through God's working, more like Jesus. That is the ultimate good that God has in mind. And as one wise pastor says, that is what life is really all about or should be all about for the Christian. That is something we should want more than anything else because this is what God wants for each of his children, that they become more and more conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And this hopefully will encourage us to be patient then when things go against us or in times of adversity, because we know that, that God, God is working. And God is, in his own way, going to bring about something positive, something good, something worthwhile from this. Even in our sufferings, we can rejoice, because, because God is one who brings good out of evil, out of suffering. He'll use it for our good, or, or maybe he'll use it in the life of another to bring about his goodness there. So let's recognize the meaning of good. And then another boundary or understanding. 
and I already hinted at this, how God is able to use bad things, evil happenings, to produce his good. God doesn't delight in doing that, of course. God despises evil. He finds it repulsive. And yet he can, and he does, use it for good reasons or purposes. I'm thinking now of those two nations in the Old Testament, Assyria and Babylon, evil, evil nations to the core. But God uses them to discipline his own people. His purpose, to punish his chosen nation, Israel, through using these pagan nations. And I think of Joseph being sold to Egypt by his brothers. So cruel, so wrong, so painful for Joseph, for his father. But God had something in mind, something good. And he comes to understand that later on. And I'm thinking tonight as I stand here of Joni Erickson Tata. We've all heard of her. She's still living. But as a teenager, that swimming accident, paralyzed, paraplegic, painful, frustrating, now she testifies how God has been so good to her the good purposes God had in mind for her through this accident and through this injury. And I'm thinking tonight of Charles Colson, that Watergate person. He did wrong. He was in prison. But he came to new life in Christ. He wrote the book, Born Again. What a Christian leader this man became. But he went through a very difficult time. And he did things for, for very, very wrong. What I'm saying is that God can and does sometimes use injury and accident and setback and poverty and persecution and sickness and sorrow to work about his good. His good in us, even his good in his church. Because he's a sovereign and he's a wise and he's a loving God. He's the master of using what we would consider to be wasteful, useless, worthless. God says, be careful. You'd be amazed what I can use to produce good. God has strange and amazing ways, really, of shaping us, shaping us to be a bit more like his son, Jesus and I hope we can say that really, ultimately, it's what life is all about. What God truly desires is what I also desire for myself. What we desire for this church is that we become a bit more like Christ. A final boundary, if I may, of this text. The verse reads, we know, we know doesn't say we feel, we know, an important difference. I think tonight of Paul, persecuted, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, 
preaching the gospel and being rejected and in prison for doing that, slandered, that was not pleasant. Not pleasant at all. Nothing about that felt good to the apostle, but Paul lived with a conviction and knowledge that God was yet and always in control and that he would bring good out of evil. And he did. He did. And so would Joseph. As I said, he did not enjoy being sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. He did not enjoy being separated from his dear father, being betrayed by that woman in Egypt, Potiphar's wife, being put in a dungeon. He did not enjoy interpreting dreams and then being given promises that they would remember him and then they forgot him. That hurt and it hurt deeply. But what Joseph says in verse 20 of chapter 50 of Genesis is so powerful and so profound and so foundational to our faith. Am I in the place of God, he says to his brothers who had done him so much evil and now, frankly, expect the worst from him? Am I in the place of God? You intend to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All of it hurt and all of it was frustration. But God was at work. And now I'm beginning to see his good purpose in all of this. That understanding. It's not something we feel. It's a conviction we have based on the promise of God and who he is. What's the comfort then of this text? Frankly, there are two words there that have no boundaries, none at all. All things, all things. We know in all things, God is working for good. In all things. I think in closing tonight of Charles Spurgeon, the way God saved him, maybe you know the story, God used a snowstorm, a snowstorm. Charles Spurgeon was one who lived in the um, 1800s in England, became an outstanding preacher in London, but earlier in life, he was fairly well educated and he attended a rather sophisticated, classy church but on a given Sunday, there was a storm, and he couldn't get there. So he decided he would go to a, a little chapel nearby. He had been there before, but he didn't much care to go there. He didn't think much of it. The preaching wasn't very good. But he couldn't get to his church, so he went to that one. And would you believe on this Sunday, the preacher didn't show up either. And so the person who, who led worship, as he said, was just a skinny, quite illiterate person. Not too many people there. And this particular preacher on that Sunday used the text, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. 
And he said it over and over again. Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. He didn't say much about the text. He probably didn't know what to say. So he just said the text again and again. And, and Charles says that he went to this classy church. He had never heard that word before. These words. And very honestly, he was trusting in something quite other than the Lord for his salvation. And as a result of him being there on that particular morning, Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked to Jesus, looked to Jesus for his salvation. God used a second-rate and quite illiterate preacher to convert and save this great, great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. As he says, a snowstorm did it. A snowstorm did it. God can use snowstorms and almost anything to accomplish his purposes. As I stand here tonight, I marvel again at the strange happenings and the surprising people that God has used to shape my life and my faith, to direct my paths. And I dare say, if you reflect, you can say the very same thing. Many, many things we cannot and we do not know. But of one thing we can be absolutely sure as we leave this sanctuary tonight, it is God's promise, it is God's comfort to us. We know that in all things God works and will work for the good of those he loves. Praise be to his name. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer. Oh God, what a good verse we see tucked away in Romans chapter 8. We've heard it before, we need to hear it again and be encouraged in, in our life situation, maybe at present, because sometimes, frankly, life seems to be coming apart at the seams. And happenings can happen that leave us so confused and so frustrated and maybe so discouraged. Oh, God, assure us again of your deep, deep love for us, that you are a God who's always with us and you're working out something positive and good and worthwhile in whatever happens to us, in whatever situation we may find ourselves. Oh, God, give us patience and faith to see beyond the cloud in the darkness, in the weakness, to see a great and sovereign God at work for good. And then I ask that you'll minister your grace, O oh God, to those maybe here whose way is hard at present. Use us to encourage and to support those who are faint-hearted and weak. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.